Today on Ag News Daily. This is where it gets even more interesting. The government has stubbornly said that China is only going to import about 7 million metric tons of corn this upcoming year. And what I mean stubbornly is the fact of the matter is we've sold them over 10 million metric tons. So the same bureaucracy that says they're only going to import 7 million total. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Castellini Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, it is a Monday. It is markets, but it is also a snow day here in central Iowa, which feels weird to say uh, in the middle of October. Delaney, when do you guys normally get your first snow? Well, I was having a discussion with my boyfriend about that the other day because he claims we got snow earlier on in the season like this last year during harvest. But I swear, usually we don't get much snow, if any, until probably around Thanksgiving. So I'd say we're probably maybe, you know, almost a full month ahead of where we typically get snow. Gotcha. Well, we hardly ever get snow down here, so I, I'm I, we get it kind of randomly. It's only snowed two or three times since I've lived in Lubbock, and I've been living here for about four years now. So we we hardly ever do see snow, but it it was feeling quite cold today when I went to class. It was in the the upper 40s, but it's still supposed to be in the 80s later on this week. So I can't say that we'll be having a snow day anytime soon. I don't think. Well, I wish I could send my snow down to you. That's for sure. I would certainly love that. I really like the cold weather. Uh, it's it's not my favorite. Fall is definitely my favorite time of year, as I've mentioned before, because of harvest. And uh, we don't have, of course, crop progress numbers out yet. As of this recording of the podcast, those will be out here shortly. And we'll talk about those tomorrow. But in the meantime, Ashton, I wanted to bring up this piece of news just basically a follow-up for a story that you reported on last week with some voluntary cattle market price discovery. We've seen members now of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association have released their proposal to improve the beef industry's price discovery process without mandating mandating participation by producers or packers. They say this report was put together with folks all across their regional offices, and they have a 75% plan. So they're aiming for 75% market participation by, again, producers and packers for the industry to strive towards. And so as part of this 75% they say, in essence, uh, they're going to try and have subgroups and groups evaluate the weekly negotiated trade information for each of the USDA's agricultural marketing services cattle feeding reporting regions on a quarterly basis. So it sounds like they're going to be working with more regional folks to put together weekly and quarterly numbers to figure out if price fixing is happening. And like I said, they're planning to approach it voluntarily to start with a 75% threshold for those prices in the near future. So a little bit of some gray area, I'd say at this time, my question is whether or not it's really going to work if it's a voluntary program. Yeah, Delaney, I'd say there's a a good bit of gray area concerning price fixing right now. It's definitely something that I will continue to keep my eye out on, as I imagine you will as well. But I have some news coming from the Ninth Circuit Court. 
And uh, this is a little bit of, of, of new news. It's definitely not something that we have been talking about the, with the Ninth Circuit Court. But California's Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has upheld that state's animal housing law known as Proposition 12. Judge Christina Snyder ruled against a request for an injunction from the North American Meat Institute, which sought to stop Proposition 12 and its ban on the sale of veal and pork for animals not raised according to California's animal housing standards, effectively forcing all producers sending meat to California to adhere to the California standard. And the Meat Institute claims that Proposition 12 violates the Federal Commerce Clause by creating trade barriers, shielding California producers from out-of-state competition, and burdens interstate commerce. The appeals court says the district court did not abuse its discretion when upholding Proposition 12 because it treats in-state and out-of-state producers equally, is not regulating extraterritorial conduct, and is not a price control or affirmation law. Rachel Gantz with the National Pork Producers Council tells Brownfield Ag News that there are two separate lawsuits challenging Proposition 12, and while the Ninth Circuit appeals judge declined to hear from the North American Institute's case, the other case has been filed by National Pork Producers Council, and American Farm Bureau is still ongoing. Yeah, I've been watching this story a little bit myself, and uh you know, California does some crazy things. I'll just leave it at that. For those folks, I should say, that are consumer-based and, you know, California is probably one of the number one states that really allows decisions like that to be driven on a more consumer basis than maybe some of our other states. But uh, we'll continue to watch that story too, Ashton, so I'm glad you brought it up. But I have a little bit of South American weather and uh, planting news here before we head into talk markets. And we're talking markets today with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. And he, he'll mention this a little bit more later on, the long-term market effects for this, so I won't steal his thunder. But we saw Brazil lift import taxes on both corn and soybeans, largely because they are having continued planting and weather issues down there. Uh, soybean planting in the Mato Grosso area, which is, of course, a key Brazilian state for soybeans, is at just 8% completed compared to 42% compared to this time last year. They've been having quite a bit of wet weather. And so we'll continue watching that story. But like I said, they're also allowing duty-free corn and soybean imports until 2021 because they need the product, meaning uh, China is largely not going to be able to turn to them for a little while to get that those products, those grain products that they need. So we're continuing to see China step in, definitely a demand-driven rally, as Jim will share here in just a little bit. But I thought I'd share that good piece of news for today. Absolutely, Delaney. And I just have one more piece of news that I would like to share before we get into that conversation. But dairy producers are among the loudest voices predicted to be heard during the upcoming election. According to political forecasting website 538.com, Pennsylvania is currently rated as the most likely tipping point state in the upcoming election. And tipping point meaning the state most likely to put a presidential candidate past 270 electoral votes. And among the other top states were Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota, all of which are top produce, top dairy producing states. And so what, what, what does this mean for the election and for, for dairy producers? Because the, the farm vote is, is 
kind of always had a, a pretty big importance in the election, but especially going to be important in the 2020 election. Some things suggested by agdaily.com for dairy farmers and voters to consider is international trade, federal disaster assistance, dairy labor demands and solutions, and fake dairy labeling. And if you are wanting to hear some more information on those issues, agdaily.com has some great resources available on their website. Yeah, it's crazy to think, Ashton, that tomorrow we will be just two weeks out from Election Day. And I know, well, I don't know, but I assume a lot of our listeners have been getting hit with Election Day texts and radio ads and Facebook ads and all that stuff, encouraging people to vote to get their ballots in and etc. But I am just glad we are going to be through this political season. I I really expected you to to say something like that, Delaney. I know you're <laughs> probably a little bit you know tired of of having those cons, kinds of conversations, but I'm excited to see you know what the news headlines are like after the election because there's so much that has been just wrapped up with the election so you, far. Yeah, you are absolutely correct on that one, Ashton. It'll be an important day for our nation's history, no doubt. But today was also an important day in the markets, Ashton. What do you say we take a look at them? Let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, demand-driven rally. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but we are continuing to see folks come in and buy U.S. production, including, of course, China and Mexico and some of our other top trading partners. And we saw that uh, welcome today by the grain markets. The December corn contract up three and a quarter cent to close at 405 and a quarter. The March up three and a half to close at 410 and a half. Soybean pits November contract up four and a quarter cent to close at 10.54 and a quarter. The January up three and three quarters to close at 10.54. In the wheat pits, Chicago wheat up a penny and three quarters in the December contract to close at 6.27. The March up two and a half to close at 6.26 even. In the livestock pits, not a great day today as they had near limit down moves in a couple contract months. The December contract Losing 347 to close at 105.15. The February down 330 to close at 108.17 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract, excuse me, the November contract down 495 to close at 130.07. The January down 410 to close at 125.22 and a half. And I believe that is a limit down move today in feeder cattle. Lean Hogs had some mixed trade today as the December contract added a dollar sixty-two and a half to close at seventy-one forty-two. The February losing just a dime to close at seventy eighty-five. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures, the November contract up seventy-five on the day to close at twenty-one sixty-seven. December up seventy-five as well to close at nineteen forty-eight. Without further ado, let's kick it off to our conversation with Jim McCormick. Well, as promised, we are chatting today with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net to talk markets. And Jim, I'm very excited to have you on today because markets are up, farmers are feeling optimistic. And as you mentioned before we started recording today, we're finally seeing a demand-driven market. 
That is exactly what's going on, Delaney. It's been a long time since we've had a demand-driven market. We've been kind of hauling around a lot of oversupply, plain and simple. But with this China demand situation, with them really coming in and being aggressive buyers around the world, as well as other production problems around the world, it has really brought this demand to the forefront. You throw in the pandemic, where a lot of countries are doing a little bit of hoarding because they're just not certain about this just-in-time delivery points for food. And voila, we've got probably some of the most exciting markets we've what, seen in four or five years, which is definitely fun to talk about. Yeah, it certainly is. And Jim, I want to talk about those countries that are stockpiling and whatnot, but we've seen the Dalian corn futures skyrocket here over the past uh, few weeks, few months, and it's finally starting to have its effect in China. How long do you anticipate to see their market struggling? And second part of that question is how long will they come to the table here at the U.S. buying from us? Well, I tell you what, the China has definitely been a very intriguing situation, and it's been ever intriguing since they essentially Delaney caught that phase one trade deal back almost a year ago in January. Um, you know, a lot of people were wondering why exactly they cut the deal. It really wasn't a whole lot to it. And what it looks like right now is the Chinese were essentially setting the table for this massive buying program that I believe they need. I mean, the fact of the matter is over this summer, over about a 40-week span, they kept selling a record amount of corn at record high prices all summer long out of their state reserves as a way to try to control the price of corn, and it just has not worked. Corn's worked trading at something like eight, nine, ten-year highs. And then all of a sudden, we have this China buy coming in and buying corn. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. The government has stubbornly said that China's only going to import about 7 million metric tons of corn this upcoming year. And what I mean stubbornly is the fact of the matter is we've sold them over 10 million metric tons. So the same bureaucracy that says they're only going to import 7 million total, they turn around and you go swift to the next page, you go to another web page of their website, and they've admitted we've sold over 10 million metric tons of corn. So this 7 million number is obviously wrong. Now the million-dollar question, Delaney, is how much are they going to buy? Our best guess is they're going to buy a minimum of 20 million metric tons of corn, and we're probably going to provide up to 15 million metric tons of that. The final five will probably come from South America and the Ukrainians. But there's a lot of speculation that it could be as much as 30 million metric tons. And here's the exciting part for the American producers. If China truly does come in and buy 30 million metric tons of corn, a vast majority of that will have to come from the United States. Because plain and simple, the South Americans don't have hardly any corn left. Brazil's actually lowered tariffs to allow importation of corn from the U.S. into them to try to control their food costs. And the fact is the Ukrainian crop is beat up by a drought. So this really opens the door for even more U.S. demand over the next couple months, which is very exciting. Yeah, it certainly is. And I don't want to I don't want to get too optimistic. I think farmers do a nice job of that themselves. But let's take your first scenario there where you mentioned, let's say, hypothetically, China imports another 15 million metric tons from the United States. What does that do to our balance sheet moving forward? Well, that would push your balance sheet probably closer to the one six to one five carryout. And I would think that would probably push this corn market back up toward the 425 to 450 level would be my guess. And then, you know, how high it goes from there will really depend on what happens with South America's crop. Because now what's going on probably South America, as everyone knows, they're fighting to get this crop in. They're way behind planting progress of the beans. Um, they're around eight, nine percent planted. They should be closer to 20 percent planted, I believe, in Monte Grosso. And the later they get the beans in, they can't get the double crop corn in. So pretty soon they're going to have to make a decision. Do I plant corn or do I plant beans? 
So that continues to tighten up the situation. So if you potentially got to carry it down to one five, one six, it really sets an interesting stage for the Americans going into next spring. Because Delaney, what are your what are the producers going to plant? They're going to plant corn. A lot of people tell me, you know, after that duration, because of all the down corn and everything and the lack of bin space, we might see even more bean acres mm-hmm. and less corn acres. Yeah. So it really sets the tail table. Then on top of it. We're dry here across the Midwest, and a lot of people are kind of whispering, are we setting this tone for maybe another 2011 to 2012 year? We'll see. No one really knows what the weather is, but it it does set kind of an exciting potential out there. It does, especially for the corn side of things. But then, Jim, if we do get that scenario where we see folks deciding not to plant corn and pushing to beans because of cash flow issues or just, you know, the fact that this year has been pretty rough for corn. How, how do we see that uh, hamper our soybean prices, which have been pretty strong here over the last few weeks? Well, I think what will happen is it'll stall it out. And what you've seen in a way, Delaney, is what's been going on. Uh, the rally has really been driven in the front month. Um, November beans are trading 1054. The new crop a year out are actually trading only at 973. So what's going to happen is you see this demand-driven market of China buying and production problems in South America will keep the spot month pop, um, you know, at a premium to the discount, at a premium to the new crop. So that new crop will continue to struggle, especially if it senses that we're going to see some big acres. I'd encourage producers, you know, keep those balance sheets in line. I mean, you get up toward that $10 level, do not be afraid to come up with some kind of marketing plans and start laying off the risk. I mean, the bean market's been an interesting situation. The fact is, you know, their producers, they're giving you 1054 to deliver beans today. They're giving you the same price for January. They're penalizing you to store it into March to 1042 and even more penalty to, you know, store that grain out to July, only giving you about 1039 a day. So the market's pretty much saying we want the beans now. And we'd encourage producers to listen to the market. And they, they want some kind of re-ownership strategy. Give us a call. We'll help them out. But uh, the market's saying move it. And we like doing that and then use some paper to re-own it to play the what if South America has a weather problem. And so, Jim, what's your let's talk November soybeans here in particular. As you mentioned, the market wants the soybeans now. But what do you see as your next level of resistance for new crop soybeans? Right now, uh, this market's kind of stalling out right here at these levels. Um, you know, if we can get through this 1050, you got up toward that $11 level. Actually, Delaney, look at the charts. If you get through that $11 level, there's not a whole lot stopping it to go up to 12. Now, to get to 12, I got to stress, it's probably got two things that got to come together. You got to have continued production problems in South America, and you got to get the continued demand from China. China, but the you know, and that's kind of a catch twenty two. If the Chinese can't buy the Brazilian beans, they're going to have to buy the U.S. beans. The fact of the matter is, their hog herd is re, getting replenished probably faster than anybody believed they would. Re, latest numbers I saw is they're back to eighty percent capacity. Now you got to remember what happened when this African swine flu swept through that country. They took out all the smaller farmers. A lot of them got wiped out. Who were reading? Who were feeding those hogs the slop? Kind of the old fashioned way to do it. A lot of those hog guys have been replaced by big corporation types that are doing modern farming, modern way of raising hogs. So you're going to see that demand for meal be explosive potentially. China needs to import 100 million metric tons of beans. The question is, who are they going to buy it from? So, uh, you know, if South America stumbles, our high target could be as high as 12. But weather and South China demand is going to be the key factor for that. And that $12 number is not going to happen for a little while yet. So folks that have production from 2020 that they haven't sold shouldn't necessarily be holding it to wait for that $12. Am I right in assuming that, Jim? 
That'd be my recommendation, because the other thing, there are things that are out there. I mean, let's face it, folks, this has been one year with one black swan event after another. We do have a very contentious election coming on. Um, you know, the Trump administration has been putting a lot of political pressure on the Chinese. Uh, there was a report out today that they're going to try to sanction some Chinese oil shipping firms who were shipping Iranian oil. So, you know, I'm a little bit leery. I think everyone's a little bit leery that if China got to the point where they have comfortable and they know the South American crop is big enough to meet their demand, that you could walk in one day and get a tweet or a cancellation that could send this market down. So our argument says, you know, listen to the market, you know, sell it. Base has been relatively good. If they want to play that what if China factor, that's what the board's for. We like using an option strategy as a way to reown it. So you can keep some skin in the game if the market would play that overall weather problem in South America. But if the weather turns better, you know, you've locked in some very good profits this year. Absolutely. And the other uh, market that seems to still be rallying right along is the wheat market. Talking Chicago wheat here in particular, you know, they are nearing, not quite there, but nearing that 640, 630 level. Is there any reason that we should see a stop to this wheat market continuing upward? Well, right now, the wheat market's kind of an interesting situation. There's a couple of things we're watching here. The first one is the U.S. dollar. The dollar is weaker today. Um, the policies of the Fed right now, it's pretty much as much money as it can to stimulate the economy. It's definitely inflationary, but that's also theory that's going to be weaker than the dollar. So that's kind of helping feed the wheat. The other thing is we've got production problems, not just in the United States, but around the world. You've got dryness issues in the plains, Delaney, but you also got problems with the Ukrainians are dry. The Russians are dry. Parts of France is dry. Argentina crops have been beat up quite a bit. So the wheat market's overall supply in the world continues to dwindle. So that combined with the funds wanting to own a kind of inflationary product combined with countries kind of hoarding it a little bit, fearful of running out of food because they realize just in time just doesn't work well. People kind of panic. That kind of sets the tone for an overall, uh, hopefully a bullish scenario. Now, the one thing, the only thing I want to point out is you talked about Chicago wheat. The one thing we're watching is the Minneapolis wheat. Unlike the Chicago wheat, which is at 627, the Minneapolis wheat has not seen quite the buying. The chart pattern on the Minneapolis wheat has formed a head and shoulder bottom, which would argue the wheat back up to $6. So the technical picture in the Minneapolis wheat is actually taken a little bit more positive than the Chicago wheat, believe it or not. Huh, okay. Well, that's that's good to uh, know for our wheat folks. Jim, I want to move this conversation over to talk cattle. They had not such a pretty day today, especially, well, really in live and feeder, both the big drops on the day today. Is it just pushed down by uh, corn reacting favorably? Actually, I think what's really driving the cattle market right now is there's plenty of supply right there. And then the biggest problem is the funds who have been long this livestock sector, specifically the cattle, are starting to get pushed out of it. There was a hope that you would see this COVID crisis kind of go the other way, unfortunately, and ramp down. Unfortunately, it's ramping up. We've got record cases. And now what's going on is the market is very, very concerned, and I think realistically, that we're just not going to see that holiday demand, that seasonal demand that normally brings this cattle market up this time of year. So they're worried about the seasonals in the chart pattern. Today looks horrible. When that December cattle took out the September low, it just accelerated the technical selling. And the funds who are record, who are not record long, but long as livestock, I think, are blowing out. And unfortunately, that probably leads to another day or two of pressure. The feeder cattle just kind of got caught on both ends. You had the five live cattle down hard. And then on top of it, you got the corn prices higher. So that also added to the feeder cattle's negative tone. 
But long-term, Jim, what's your outlook for the cattle complex? Right now, I think in the long, long term, you've got to be optimistic in the long term, but it's going to take time. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of people are really ready for to get done with this pandemic and try to get life back to normal. It's going to take time, guys. It it just is. But, you know, if you look at where we're at, you know, a lot of people are arguing by the first quarter, second quarter, we will have, you know, some vaccines, the therapeutics are getting better. And I think you will see people starting to go out to eat. And I think you'll see a lot of pent-up demand for people, especially in 2021, the latter part of 2020, to try to get back to normal and see some of that holiday spending and stuff like that. So it's just going to take time. Near term, though, I, I got to be a little bit negative at the point just because uh, the the way the structure of the market, too much protein, not enough demand is the just a negative factor, at least presently. All right. Well, Jim, before I let you go, we've talked about a lot of topics. And as you mentioned, if you want to talk specific topics or strategies with you, folks can reach out to you. Uh, remind us before we let you go how they can do that. They can reach me me specifically at 815-665-0461, or they can reach any of the Ag Market team at 844-424-6758. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thanks again for coming on today and chat market. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on anytime. Well, again, a big thank you to Jim McCormick from agmarket.net for coming on the podcast today to chat markets with us. Absolutely. Jim is a pleasure to have on. I love just how understandable he makes the markets and it's always great to have him on. So if you want to chat with him, reach out to them there at agmarket.net, Ashton. But you can also reach out to us if you want to chat markets or ag news or other things going on in the world of agriculture. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.